Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and we're talking about basketball today. On with this episode of the podcast, we have the entire basketball crew, Chad Markulix. Hi. What up? Eric Gibson. Hi. Howdy. And Dan Smith. Hi. Yo. So, since the last time we've spoken on here, Penn State has played two games, uh, went out and had... It, it looked like... It, 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 it played up to its potential against Ohio State, went out, just dragged the Buckeyes 179-56 to the Bryce Jordan Center. A few days later, went to Purdue, lost 76-33 to against the Boilermakers. Now 19- yeah, rough one for them in that one, 43-point loss. Yeah, my bad. 76-73 to the Boilermakers. Uh, whatever. <laughs> we're, we're already off the... Let's see, how far are we along? We're 53 seconds in, and we're already doing... I'm already doing great. So, Eric, just start talking Keep about going. stuff. So yeah, let's just uh, just start with Ohio State. That was a uh, that was fun. I don't yeah. know what you guys thought about that. I, I've never. Uh, when's the last time you seen Penn State beat a top ten team by twenty three points? Uh, the answer is never. I don't think. Right. Yeah, I, I I haven't. Let alone have a thirty point lead with twenty minutes to play. Like they had that thirty point lead like at the very beginning of the second half. That was ridiculous. Um, so that was like a kind of a perfect night for Penn State basketball. Um, everything kind of came together. They had a great crowd. The students came out. Um, you know, they had everybody sitting in the lower bowl, which we can kind of talk about. I guess that's there's some controversy there of making people sit in the lower bowl versus sitting like in the better seats up in the nosebleeds at half court just because the lower bowl, like in the corners at the BJC, it's like you might as well be in another building. can't see the court. Um but I thought it looks, you know, with, with all the pictures that were taken and the atmosphere and the whiteout. Flav there. Flavor Flav there. Um, everybody in in those seats made it look like a pretty cool atmosphere. And then obviously that came across on the broadcast. You know, I don't think any of us were in the building, so we can't speak to the uh, the actual atmosphere. But by well, all not accounts. Not physically. But yeah. Spiritually, we were all there, yes. Yeah. But... Well, I'm just saying, like, you can't say. I, I would imagine it probably was the loudest the Bryce Jordan Center has ever been, or at least s- since Pat Chambers has been here. Um, so, yeah, and then they just, and then the team actually was able to feed off the crowd, live up to its potential, as Bill said, and whooped a uh, top 10 team to kind of gain some national respect. Um, that kind of opened some eyes around the country when you uh, do that. Now, now it's interesting, though, just because now there's doubts rising about how good is that Ohio State team. And I think there's some merit to that, too. They, they were playing over their heads for so long that um, it was going to be kind of hard to sustain how well they've been playing all through the rest of the season. Yeah. So, so they're kind of on a downturn right now. So, but Honestly, just the way everything came together and how well the team played and fed off the crowd, that's easily like the first time I remember um, the team living up to like a big stage at the Bryce Jordan Center. Usually, whenever there's an anticipated game, for whatever reason, they seem to just have a tendency to fall on their faces. Or they could be playing like a really good team, um, you know, like the Wisconsin's. I feel like there's been some big games with Wisconsin over the year, and Wisconsin just plays such an ugly style of basketball that, you know, watching Penn State lose on that stage was de- pretty demoralizing. But, you know, they flipped the script with this game. That was easily, I think, the most fun Penn State basketball game I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd agree with that. And one thing that I found so interesting in this game, Chad, was 
as I'm looking at the box score, every once in a while, I like it. Just I just kind of forget about how Keita Bates Giop was just shut down. And on the other side, Tony Carr came out, and I, I think this is something that Eric kind of had been talking about in the lead up to this game, how. These kids at Ro- from Roman Catholic, they're entire. Even Josh Reeves at Oak Hill, Mike Watkins in his high school career, these are all guys who have played in a whole bunch of big games in front of a whole bunch of crowd, big crowds, environments that are raucous. And Eric, credit to him, said he thought that was something that they could feed off of in this game, and it seemed like they did this on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense. Uh, Chad, in the event that someone listening to this has not watched this game, how was Penn State able to keep the, the guy who coming into the game was viewed as the front runner for the Big Ten Player of the Year so contained for the second time this season? Well, Josh was on a lot. I mean, I give a lot of credit to him for his defense on on KBD. Um, you know, he kind of he kind of showed his his potential as a as a just a lockdown defender, balls defender. Um, you know, Penn State. Uh, they it, they played a lot of really good, um, just getting the jumping passing lanes. Maybe not jumping passing lanes, but like just preventing the ball from going to somebody else because they were covering their the target, the passing target so easy, so well. Um, so you know it, it was it was definitely a team effort on defense. I thought, um, you know Jamari was great. Um, everybody bought in. Everybody seems to be bought in right now and and playing really well on both ends of the floor. There's a lot of energy out there. There's not a lot of. Um, possessions are taking off. It seems like, especially in that game. I mean, to get out to a thirty-point lead against uh, a top ten Ohio State team is really impressive. Um, and and to your point about um, all these kids coming from big prep schools and playing a lot of big games in high school, um, you know, you see why Pat recruited these guys. You know, I mean, not just because they're talented, but because they have that pedigree that 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 you know they've played in big games before and they know how to how to handle it. So um, it just seems like everything's kind of falling into place. Like it took like a year and a half almost, but. Um, it seems like everybody's realizing their potential at the same time and, and really growing and they're figuring out as a team, how to win and how to play. Um, I know they didn't win against Purdue, but they still, you know, that's a, that was a really good performance on the road against a, a top, another top 10 team. So, um, it's just all kind of coming together and, and, um, it's a fun time to be a Penn State fan. For sure. And, uh, Dan, I want to go to you really quickly because again, another thing that jumps out from the box score when I'm looking at Tony specifically 30 points on 15 shots. The last time that he had a 30 point game, he took 30, he had 33 on 30 shots in that uh, game against Minnesota where Penn's, where, you know, the Golden Gophers just couldn't miss in overtime. It, looking at Tony over the last, the, the last month or so, I mean, because that was exactly one month uh, to the day after the Minnesota game. What has changed with him, and what was kind of on display in that Ohio State game that maybe wasn't there a little bit earlier in the season? I think it really is a is a comfort level. Um, you know, it, he, he's still you know taking a decent number of shots, but it's not something where it's uh, you know I'd say in, in by any stretch an obnoxious amount. I think it's probably the appropriate amount, generally based on you know his role and his skill set. Um, you know, I think it's a comfort level of the offensive system that there are going to be uh, plays that other people on the team can make, that uh, there are more opportunities because you have a guy like Josh Reeves back. That certainly plays a factor. Um, you know, but the I think that they just needed 
And I think you, if you read between the lines of a lot of the quotes that they've had, you you know talk to some people around the program about it. Uh, that's really the consistent theme is that this team, over the last you know three four weeks, uh, you know they just finally sort of had it click. They finally had it, it you know figured out where they understand what they want to do. And certainly, you know, you hear from some people saying like, well, where was this before? You have to remember it's a young team and, you know, these things do take time. Uh, and, you know, it's it was um, it's not that it was inevitable, but, um, you know, it wasn't going to happen from day one. And uh, it's just really great to see, you know, finally, um, you know, I think not just Tony, but I think Tony is probably the, the best example of it. Uh, this team understand offensively what they want to do because the defense for the most part really has been pretty consistent over the year. There were a couple of uh, outliers. I think that Minnesota game that you're talking about is probably the best example. Um, but for the most part, the defense, uh, you know, the system they, they wanted, they kind of put in place last year and they've, you know, improved it some this year, but uh, it's really the offense that's made the strides over the last few weeks. And uh, like you said, Tony Carr, you know, having the, the comfort level that he has multiple options to go to, uh, on a lot more possessions than it seemed like he felt that he had, you know, even just uh, even just as as recently as a month ago, uh, has really been a key difference. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna key Eric up here because I feel like this is something that he can talk about for like an hour and a half. But I, I think it was after this game, uh, it might have been right before it, it might have been right after it, but it was within a day of this one tipping off. Pat had uh, a quote in his press conference, I don't remember exactly what it was, about the importance of patience and how, I mean, I think he got a little bit broad and he started talking about, you know, in society we need a little more patience, whatever, but when it comes to this team, Eric, I feel like the Ohio State game was kind of the culmination of, it, it, it was the first time where Pat, well, I don't want to say the first time, that's a little unfair, but it was the best example of what Pat has been preaching over the last however many years, kind of manifesting this self via Penn State going out and just kicking the hell out of what was the number eight team in the country and uh, what was a wire-to-wire performance. Yeah, it was like the first actualization of their vision for this program and everything that they've been preaching for sure. Uh, now, obviously, you know, you got to keep in mind, keep it in perspective. It was one game. It was just a glimpse of what this team hopefully can become. Um, but, you know, like we're also saying it, they're playing. This is the best stretch of Penn State basketball that I've ever seen um, in my lifetime, just as far as just watching them play like the eye test, if you will. Um, they're blowing teams out. They can defend anybody. Um, you know, Chad was talking about the, the ball denial defense that Reeves played on KBD. I've never, we've never had anybody. I mean, I guess, you know, Calvin Booth was a, a pretty nasty shot blocker. Um, but it's very rare for us to have somebody that's just able to lock down the best player in the league like that. That's pretty crazy. Um, and, and this is kind of what, you know, Chambers has always been trying to do. I mean, he, he's always been re- looking for athleticism um, when he's out recruiting. Um, he wants guys that will buy in defensively, which is really where I think um, this turnaround did happen. I know Dan, Dan was saying the offense has improved, and it absolutely has. Um, but I think the defensive effort from all five guys has been a lot more consistent. Um, and I know Chambers has uh, given credit to – 
Shep Garner for a lot of that. He's apparently been a much more uh, verbal communicator for the whole team, kind of stepping up as a senior leader. Um, and you can see that carry over onto the offense because um, he's been shooting pretty well yeah. Uh, recently. Yeah, um, and I and I, I don't want to say that I, I think that the defense has been the same the entire time. I think you're exactly right. I think they found another gear recently. I think what I just meant was it's more uh, you know the the fundamentals and the you know understanding of the roles hasn't really changed that much. Whereas I do think that that has been a, a difference on the offense, unlike the defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just think I mean. A lot of people think, like, what's changed? What's changed? I mean, they're still taking, um, you know, the offense is still the same. They're still running a lot of ISOs. Um, it's just that this team has found a new um, a new confidence, um, kind of a new maturity, and they're, and they're making smarter decisions, especially on the defensive end, which is leading to, to smarter decisions on the offensive end. Um, but otherwise, you know, Tony Carr still break. I mean, he is taking a, a lower shot volume. But a lot of his shots are still of the same ISO quality. It's not like we're running him off of some kind of screens or anything like that. Um, and, you know, Shep Garner's the same way. Shep Garner's, like, taking a lot of dribble pull-ups that, you know, for three years of his career, we all said, why is he taking these shots? But right now, he's just taking them with such confidence, and he wants to put the team on his back, and he wants to... Uh, lead this team to the goals that they've been stated. Obviously, the, the main goal is get to the NCAA tournament. Um, so it's just, it's just cool to see that maturity and that maturation process from all five guys. They still have a ways to go. Um, Watkins and Stevens are still a little bit up and down recently. But, uh, you know, that Ohio State game, was that was definitely kind of the culmination of everything. Now, hopefully that wasn't the peak. Hopefully they can... You know, you know, we can. I'm assuming we're going to eventually go into the Purdue game. Yeah. Um, you know, we might as well just go in now. Yeah. Because cool. they they dropped that game, but wait, really? Yeah, they did. Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> I keep keep yeah. going. Keep going. Speaking of, speaking of uh, Shep Garner, he he kind of put the team on the back yeah. on his back there at, at the end of that game. Um, seemed like we were kind of Penn State was kind of out of it. Um, or just on the on the edge of being out of it with Watkins out uh, his his foul trouble. We can talk about that later. But um, yeah, Shep had what five threes three in the second half um, at, at crucial junctures. Uh, hit a big one in the corner to to I think tie the game or get it within one or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean that that was a that was a senior performance from him and and Julian Moore. Julian was great in uh, in Mike Watkins stead when he was out with foul trouble. So um, yeah, I mean but it, between you know guys realizing their potential kind of. And the seniors playing like seniors, Shep and, and Shep, especially Julian in his limited role playing well too. Um, yeah. I mean that Purdue game, that was kind of a, that, um, you know, a, a game that they didn't need to have, but it was nice to, to get it, to get a good performance at least, uh, even though they didn't get, didn't get the win, but um, you know, Ken Palm went up after that game. So like that, that just kind of tells you like, this is not a team that's just going to fold and, and I mean, they've been getting better ever since Josh Reese came back in every single game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I I'm glad that Eric mentioned Shep because that was kind of my big takeaway from that one. Uh, that didn't involve oh hey this team can not like it can avoid being a pushover when Mike Watkins isn't just having an off game but is having a game where you know just about everything that could go wrong for him is going wrong. And for me, the big reason why was Shep. It seemed like whenever Penn State needed a big shot, 
he was getting the ball, whether it's, you know, they were able to get it over to him just naturally or it just bounced in a lucky way and he was right there. And he made the best of the situation. He was fantastic. And then, yeah, Julian Moore played well. If you told me that Julian Moore in the game against Purdue was going to have six points on three for three shooting against Purdue, I would have probably guessed that you were a liar, but he did what he needed to do. I mean, Satchel Pierce gave them not terrible minutes off the bench. It seemed like it was, uh, you know, this is basically the best possible game that those guys could have played. It's just uh, they came up, they they didn't quite get the job done at the end. Uh, Eric, if you want to talk about why that happened and then just open it up to everybody else. Let's well, I mean, we got to we gotta talk about, I mean, one of the main storylines of this game was obviously what happened with Mike Watkins. For sure. Um, how he came out and picked up two fouls before anyone could even really blink. That first one, uh, you know, I went I went back to to rewatch some parts of the, of this game just because I wanted to see kind of how stuff happened because you you missed it real time. Mike Watkins' first foul, which he did actually, that foul was on him. Um, it just kind of yeah. happened in the I broadcast. Think the broadcast gave, yeah, they gave it to somebody else, and I was like, well, what? no, I think Tony Carr. Yeah, the broadcast just didn't even like say anything about it. it I remember like, the second foul of the game. I remember thinking it was on Tony Carr, and yeah. I guess it was on Watkins. But no, it, was, it, it was on Watkins. They both like were late to a drive. Um, I forget who drove. I think it was Matthias. But, um, but yeah, so he picked up that foul, and then literally like the next possession or the two possessions later, um, he fouled uh, trying to uh, body up Haas. And if you think about it, you know, I was thinking about it just – Tonight, um, you know, when has Mike Watkins ever had to guard somebody that big? You know, and we talk about how raw he is and how he's still kind of new to basketball. Um, and, I, and I say that just because it's like, who in practice can he go up against that could simulate that? And I don't think he ever gets that, especially at, at Penn State. I mean, Satch, right. yeah, but even but Satch, Satch, Satch also, like, yeah, he doesn't use his body in the way that they're different you bigs. Yeah, and, and that big how many humans are as big as Isaac Haas to begin with? So, yeah, like, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, Satchley, Satchley even looks small too when he was guarding Haas. Like, you Haas know, is like 30 pounds on Satch, let alone. Yeah, you know, just and then like, also in his his like wingspan with those freaking arms are huge. So that's why, like, you know, everyone's saying like Haas, you can call a foul on Haas all the time. It's just because he has like such long arms that when he's posted up. Um, so that's what happened with Watkins' second foul. He kind of got, you know, he was trying to front him or whatever. And it was just, it was clear that Watkins didn't know really how to do that without fouling just because he's never had to, been able to simulate that kind of defense against somebody that big. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's that ruined his first half. And But we, as we were talking about, Julian Moore and Satchel Pierce came in and, and they did a great job. Um, now part of that's just because Haas doesn't have the stamina, and then Purdue kind of went away from him there, you know, started relying on Carson Edwards a little bit because Carson Edwards got some room. Um, but we were able to, you know, survive with Julian and Satchel out there for 14, 15 minutes or whatever it was um, and take a four-point lead in a halftime. That was pretty remarkable. Um, and then in the second half, you know, that's when things kind of went awry. Uh, as soon as coming out of the break, they just – they had a terrible start to the half. Um, Watkins missed a couple of easy ones. Um, Lamar Stevens came, and I remember the one time he shot the ball way too quick on a, on a mid-range that led to a run out on the other end. Um, and then they started turning the ball over. And then defensively, they were they let Matthias get away from them a few times. So they had this stretch there for like five, seven minutes 
where they just really weren't playing well. And then obviously you can't do that um, on the road at a top five team or top 10 team, whatever Purdue is, and um, expect to win. So they really kind of obviously they lost the game there. They ended up going down 11. So that would have been they were up nine, went down 11. So that's a 20 point swing right there. Uh, for however long that was over both halves. But the way they came back, though, was definitely spirited. Um, you know, Josh Reeves hit a huge three um, to, to right when Penn State's offense wasn't really doing anything. They were turning the ball over. They were running isos. They were stagnating. It was everything you had seen this team do before they had been playing so well. So you wanted to see them try to kick some of those bad habits. Um, and then that's when Shep Garner stepped up and, and, they, and Tony Carr stepped up and they – came back and mounted a comeback. Uh, it's just a shame that they didn't get it because, you know, that was an opportunity that was on the table for him. But, you know, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I know we want to talk about Mike Watkins. So, yeah, the technical, go, the go technical foul situation. Well, I mean, it's, it's just incredibly um, – Look, Patrick Chambers talked about it today. It's something that, you know, people have talked about before. He's, you know, an emotional player. And, uh, you know, that's part of his uh, part of his game. Part of what makes him, uh, you know, effective in what he does is is um, is, you know, the way that he approaches it that way. Uh, You know, it it really helps him on the defensive end. It it, it allows him to, you know, to play with the with an edge, Um, you know, and that's, that's something at times that they've needed. But. It was just I, I could see it coming from a mile away. As soon as he, you know, fouled that, took his third foul, and then is standing over him afterwards, sort of, you know, out of frustration, you know, daring somebody to do exactly what they did, which was, you know, try to bait him into doing something. Whenever you're in that situation and they're splitting everybody up, it's when the guy goes back for seconds. That's when it's it's like an automatic T each time because they're trying to control the game. They don't want anything to happen, and you know, you know, you just picked up number three. And you're going to go in there and take number four. I mean, it's it's. I I thought that the thing that was going to be lasting for me in terms of frustration as a fan was going to be the the Jamari Wheeler play at the end of the first half, but it, that pales in comparison to you know the the just just sheer uh, stupidity of what Watkins did with that one. So it was very frustrating. Um, um, you know, and I, I I saw the coaching staff of Penn State, you know, say that they thought it was a weak tee. Um, you know, which I get you're standing up for your guy, uh, you know, but, um, you know, it, it just at the time and I've, I've, you know, we, it's, I've had a day to digest. So I'm sort of over it now, but at the time it drove me up a wall. I was, I did not, uh, did not enjoy watching the rest of that game, sort of knowing that that was looming over it. Cause it just felt like, you know, Watkins never gave himself a chance to get in the flow of the game because he played himself out of it in both halves of the game. And then what are you left with? You know, you're left with him playing down the stretch with an opportunity to tie the game. And he's not a great free throw shooter anyway, but I had zero confidence with that a guy who spent almost the entirety of the game sitting on the bench uh, was going to be, you know, in rhythm, in the flow there to be able to, you know, to make plays at the end of the game, not just in the free throws, but generally. And, uh, you know, that's very frustrating because... um, it's, you know, what Eric was talking about with the 2000, the first half, that's one thing. That's something that he hasn't dealt with before. He's playing against a guy who has something that he's never dealt with before. That technical foul thing is something that's completely in your control, completely in your control. And he uh, let his emotions get the best of him, and it really cost him and probably the team. Yeah, I mean, it. 
again, in most scenarios, if you tell me that Julian Moore and Satchel Pierce are going to play basically the exact games that they played on uh, on Sunday night, with what we know Mike is capable of doing, I'd feel really good about Penn State's chance yeah. against just about I mean, anyone. It, it, yeah, it, they wasted several good performances. Shep Garner's performance, Julian Moore's performance, and you know it, it, it all kind of circles back to just that huge hole in, in the stat sheet and not having Watkins yeah. be able to do anything effectively. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's one of those unfortunate things. Like I, I, I'm going to... I don't want this to sound the way that it might come out, uh, but this is something that happens with Mike. Like like Eric said, he's an emotional player. He 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 gets he can find himself in these kinds of situations. You know, it was the mi- it was a mix. He played poorly, got a few bad calls against him, and unfortunately, it came in the head to the head in the worst way that it could possibly come to a head. And this is going to be one of those games where. Uh, Chad, I, I think we're all going to look back on this about as optimistically as we can look back on a loss. You know, Penn State went into Mackey, uh, lost by three points to Purdue, looked like it really could have won the game, but it's all, there's always going to be the little voice in the back of the head, I would assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, going, you know what, maybe, 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 and that kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean, if it gets to the point where you know we're left, Penn State's left out of the tournament, um, you know, on Selection Sunday, and if you know if they ask, well, they they could have done more. Well, we'll look at this game and say, yeah, well, this is this was the opportunity to get the the big signature road win, uh, in addition to the Ohio State game. So, um, you know, yeah, it's it definitely stinks. It definitely stings a lot. Um, but um, you know, I there it, this is this seems like the thing they'll they'll grow from and, and build off of, um, you know, we can talk about the next two games coming up. There's still, there's still opportunities. Um, and like you said, like Mike is, he's an emotional guy. Has, I don't recall him getting, um, I mean, aside from the Michigan state game this year, when, when else has he really gotten a technical foul? So like, well, there was the Minnesota I mean, game where he pushed Condon. Right. Okay. That's right. Well, he didn't get a technical foul from that. Did he? Not no, but I'm just no, saying that, that just shows right, yeah, a lack of composure, of, yeah. bad yeah. look, comp- bad composure thing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but. He, he does. He and when, like when we're saying that he's emotional, really, what we're saying is he cannot handle frustration well. He loses right. his composure. Absolutely. It's kind of like having a temper, if you will. Um, and he's one of the, he's not in in eligibility terms, but he's one of the older guys in the team. Yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunately, it's just it's one of his. It's just part of his personality, you know. You you, you take the good with the bad, um, and that's why I, you know I'm kind of glad I get my chance to rebuttal Dan's point here. Um, you know, we can definitely you can lament that we lost this game, and you can pin it on Watkins because obviously he came up with a dud, um, being a foul trouble, never being in the game, um, and, and and you know obviously you know Dan, everything Dan's saying about as far as the technical and going back for seconds. Yeah, he, he's right. You're absolutely going to get teed up every time. I don't care if Chambers thinks it was a quick tee or not. It didn't even look like Watkins said anything. But, you know, when, when tensions rise like that and you're already standing over a guy and they're trying to calm the situation, when you go back over there, you're instigating, you're going to get teed up every time. That's fine. No, he he did say something. He said something about Matt Harm's hair, and that was what <laughs> <they're> <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you, when you put... <laughs> 
you never want it to be in a situation where you're ma- putting the refs, you're saying to the refs, make a decision because yeah. j- just the but, risk that. Just walk away. Yeah. But yeah, but what I'm saying is, and, and Dan said something like, well, he, he should have known that he had his third. Mike, Mike Watkins did not know in the heat of that moment what was going on. He was like losing his mind. Like, that's just what he has done, unfortunately. Which is, is, you know, the problem. And yes. Yeah. You know. And how do you fix it? I mean, that that's uh, – I don't – I've never experienced a situation in basketball where I didn't have the situational awareness to know that. You know, I, it's it's hard for me to get into that mindset and understand it to a point where I would be able to correct it. So I don't know if – you know, I'm, I'm sure your point is that, you know, what what are they supposed to do? Um, you know, I don't have the answer for it. I just it, – it, it's – I can't even get there. I don't know how you not know that. Yeah. Well, I guess it's just more of – and then since he was out – I think part of it is the reason why he got the technical because he was already playing so poorly. Um, if you go back and watch that opening stretch, if he would have made a couple of bunnies, he would have stopped. We would have Penn State would have stayed right in there and would not have gone down by double digits. Um, and then he uh, there was the other time where Lamar drove two guys converged on him and he tried to dump it off the mic and it was a hard it was a fast pass. I have no idea why Mike one wasn't ready for it and then didn't even try to catch it. That was it didn't make sense to me. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that play or not, but I would recommend seeing it again because it's just like I've never seen Mike just like be afraid of the ball because that's kind of like what it seemed like to me in that play. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he was all turning to him and like, Mike, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, that's a oh. pass. There's no, there's no way Julian or Satchel would be able to catch it, but Mike right, has shown no. that he can catch th- those passes. That's why it was kind of, right. I don't know. And to but, the yeah. point also, like I don't know if how much. I really want to pin the entire loss on Mike, considering how well Julian Satchel. No, I don't right. either. Because like, I, mean, I don't yeah, know how much. I, it, how it much feels a difference like a missed made. opportunity, and I feel right. like that's the the most obvious example of it. Um, you know, but but yeah, I, I as I said before, you know, I was blown away by how well Julian Moore has played the last couple games. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Dan, were you the person who said Julian Moore looks like he's spent the last two years, three years defending Mike Watkins in practice? Because that's. Yeah, 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 and and I, I actually think the the original person who sort of alluded to it uh, was was friend of the blog Darnell Brady, but um, it was sort of something he said that made me think, oh, you know, we we always hoped that that was going to be something helpful for him, and and it does look like it's starting to click a little bit. You know, he's always had the you know some of the and and you know credit to him, you know also you know he's he's getting healthier you know he's he's farther removed from the you know the surgery that he's had and everything and this is you know as we've talked about this isn't the first example of a of a late bloomer uh you know in this Penn State program we saw it with Sasha Baravniak we saw it a little bit with Donovan Jack a couple of years ago there are guys who just you know after several years it just starts finally clicking um, you know, and I think we're we're hopefully seeing it a little bit here with Julian Moore because, you know, we're in the stretch run now. That's a big boost being able to have, uh, you know, a second uh, big that you can rely on down low because I'm still not counting. I thought Satchel Pierce played, you know, better than I certainly thought he was capable of. But, uh, you know, of those two, it's certainly Julian Moore is the only one where I'm looking at a guy saying, hey, this guy can actually can have a positive impact here in these last few games against pretty good opponents. February 2019 is when we can expect a great game from Satchel Pierce. Yo, I'm just saying Satchel Pierce <laughs> had a layup with under two minutes left on a t- against an opponent on the road, top ten. Like that's crazy to me. It was a, it was I a could good not move my eyes. too. It was yeah. a good move. That yeah. was that was uh, that crazy. was clutch. I, I, clutch I think I might have like screamed. Just I think five seconds beforehand, I I sent a message to you guys and said like, why is Satchel in? And then that move happened almost immediately afterwards. So. <laughs> <laughs> All 
But yeah. you know, we talk about the biggest all the time too. But also when I um, not shout out, what's the opposite of shout out? But our def- our uh, defense on Carson Edwards. I mean, that dude is yeah. incredible. By the way, yeah. um, so I don't know how much having Mike would have changed the game plan or how. how no, I mean that was a Edwards. that was a performance that you know you it it was uh, I think in Penn State terms Tony Carr esque. You know he it yeah. was just how do you defend the the way that our Edwards he was he was scoring in you know very contested situations and just and running off thinking. screens and blowing by whoever no, was, he, Josh was on he was him, in total matter. control of the game yeah. offense yeah he's that good yeah for sure he's going to be a Big Ten player of the year in the future um, for sure yeah uh, I don't think there's any question about that naturally Purdue every, loses everyone next year except for you know him so that's yeah he's going to be a yeah. four year player and he's going to be a stud um, so you got to tip your cap to him I was just disappointed it seemed like Penn State always kept switching screens. I would have liked to see them try to at least keep Reeves on them, but honestly, it didn't look like any of any of Penn State's. Uh, you know, we got some good perimeter defenders, and none of them could stop him. He uh, he definitely carried their offense. Jamari held his own for a little bit when he was in, but other than that, I mean, he got oh, a steal off of him, I think. But yeah, no, nah, but but no, nah, Jamari. Okay, so Jamari didn't play at all in the second half, and people are probably like, "Why didn't Jamari play in the second half?" Watch the last sixty minutes of the first half when Jamari was personally responsible for the five nothing run. Sixty that, seconds. That uh, yeah, sixty seconds. Penn State goes up thirty six twenty seven. They're rolling. You could potentially have a double digit halftime lead, and Jamari made three pretty terrible plays. I mean, obviously the, the one that everyone remembers is when he he uh, you know off the offensive rebound, the shot clock had reset. Instead of pulling the ball back out, he tried to go back in. Um, but he is, it's almost astounding how how inept he looks on the offensive end at times because he's <laughs> yeah. so athletic and you would think that there's you know playmaking ability in there, but he's it's going to be a well. That's what he was trying to yeah. do. I mean, he was, yeah, he was like a freshman. It was total off. lack of situational awareness, and I understand yeah. it's a freshman, but it is it is a frustrating thing because right. you would you know you come out of that. I think they'd had a timeout ahead of that, and I think you would come out of that and. and and yeah. know, you know, sort of where the where we are with the clock and everything like that. And uh, you know, I can I was as frustrated as Patrick Chambers was after that play. So uh, you know, I I understand. Would I have kept him on the bench in the second half? Well, no, I'm just I, I don't know because you're behind at that point, and he's and he's an, he's an offensive liability. I'll let you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so around that around that one play, he completely blew defending Carson Edwards on both possessions that bracketed that one mistake. Um, the first, the first possession before the mistake, he played way too far off of Edwards and let Edwards just take a pretty wide open three. And of course he drained it. And then the possession afterwards, he came down and tried to just made a, you know, Jamari goes, is always gambling for steals. Well, this time he tried a pretty weak attempt to go around the back and just got way out of position and let Carson dribble into a, like an 18 footer. So, you know, those two possessions with, you know, not pulling the ball back out. Like I said, you know, I don't want to pile on Jamari. He's a freshman. This is what happens. I just want to, you know, people only remember the good with Jamari just because we like watching him so much. You know, sometimes he's he's not so good. And unfortunately, in that minute there, he really kind of swung the tide that carried over in the second half for Purdue. Um, you know, when we, we had that nine-point lead and then only had a four-point lead at the break. Yeah. I didn't realize that uh, Dakota Mathias was also seven for 11. Good for him. Very uh, very scrappy, gritty player, uh, hard nosed, all that yeah. with him. Well, you know, honestly, you knew they were going to come out and play. That you know, coming off of three straight losses, and then you know, I don't. Did we talk about Vince Edwards not playing? No, we didn't. I mean, um, you know, so yeah, that's a missed opportunity. 
But honestly, Vince Edwards to me is kind of like one of those guys that can kind of always gets questioned for his passion and how hard he plays. Um, you know, I feel like a lot like reading up on a lot of the Purdue um, media leading up to this game just to see kind of what they were saying with a three game losing streak. A lot of people were piling on the seniors, um, Thompson and, and Edwards for not really having that fire, if you will. Um, but, you know, not, I was not surprised to see Carson and Dakota Mathias come out, play hard, make their shots, take good shots. That that one three Mathias made towards the end of the game was that was like automatic. He shot it like a robot. The way he came off that screen and then turned and shot with like in less than half a second, it was ridiculous. Um, but you know, it's, those games you got to tip your cap. Um, you know, people are going to freak out about the free throw shooting, and, and obviously. That was a problem. Penn State had their chances from the foul line. I think I'm most disappointed still with Lamar because he continues to miss one-on-ones and critical free throws. He's a better shooter, but I'm not going to kill Julian Moore and Mike Watkins for not being able to make every single one of their free throws. That wasn't too big of a surprise to me. Do we, you know think, I mean? Mike, do we think Mike tried to miss a second one at the end of the game? No, he, tried, he, he looked over the sideline and asked whether he should make it or not, and they told him to make it, and he made it. Yeah, 4.3 seconds left. It seems like the right move, I guess. But anyways, yeah. Hey, I mean, honestly, it worked out. They got a good look. Right, they did, Tony got the same shot he made against Ohio State. He just didn't make it this time. I mean, not that that that's a good look, but I'm just saying they got it. Well, it's it's as good as you expect with, what, two seconds left? Exactly. Left, so, yeah. Yep. Oh, well. So, yeah, that's the Purdue game. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and the, the, uh, the bad news was Penn State wasn't able to get uh, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, NCAA tournament and all that stuff in a second, but before we do that, let's talk about the games against Michigan and Nebraska, uh, because Chad, both of these games, Penn State kind of controls its own destiny in the Big Ten. Right now, uh, Nittany Lions are sitting at 9-7 and seven on the year. The two teams right in front, uh, it doesn't really control its own destiny, so I take that back. Uh, but the two teams right in front of Penn State are Michigan and Nebraska, both are 11-5 and five in the conference. If Penn State's able to win these two games, it could be really, really, really important for what happens in uh, you know two weeks at Madison Square Garden. Right. Um, you know, if they win these two games, they would have the tiebreaker over both of them. Um, they need help from Indiana. They have uh, Nebraska and Ohio State, though, so you'd expect them to lose at least one of those. Um, and so Penn State still could get the five, the four seed even. But um, yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting road here. Um, Michigan has been playing pretty well recently. They, they beat Ohio State at home on Sunday. Um, big rivalry game. Uh, didn't seem to have too many issues with Ohio State that game. Um, I, I'm not sure how I how much how good I think this Michigan team is. I mean, they're 23rd in Kempom. Um, they have you know Mo Wagner, Duncan Robinson, Malik uh, Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman. Um, who you know we're still lamenting over missing uh, on him four years ago, but um, you know there it's just like a it's not your classic classically good Michigan team where they have like the one one guy driving everything. It's kind of a team effort for them. Um, but I I don't know they don't usually have I mean Wagner's kind of an inside out guy. They don't really have like an inside presence. I'd expect Mike and Lamar to have big games um, in this one. But Lamar had a really good game at Michigan last year and the last time they played so. Um, you know, it's at home. Should be a, another big crowd senior night. Um, kind of have all a lot of good energy behind Penn State right now. So uh, we'll see what happens in that one. And then Nebraska away is just never – it's a 50-50 game on Kempom right now. But um, 
just that arena um, in a must-win game for both teams. It's going to be uh, very interesting. It's probably the, the, the most important Big Ten game of the season left because it seems like you know first place is is kind of going to go to. Well, I guess that's still up in the air, but you know Ohio State, Michigan State. Um, but yeah, I mean that's going to that's basically elimination game Penn State, Nebraska. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It seems like that's going to be a. I think Nebraska is planning some kind of like a, a stand only game for the, for the students. So everybody's going to stand the whole game and, and, and everything like that. So um, yeah, Nebraska is just, they, they have a lot of transfers. James Palmer is really good. Um, Isaiah Roby is not a transfer. He's, he's playing really well recently. Um, Isaac Copeland, Anton Gill, they just got, they got guys. Um, so, and you know, Penn State beat him in overtime the first game that that was kind of the, it's like, not going to be anything like that in. first game. I don't think so either, but we'll see. I mean, James Palmer didn't do crap in that game, and yeah. Josh Reeves didn't even play in it, so it's going to be a lot different in, in Lincoln. Yeah, so but, two big games uh, would be excellent to win both. Yeah, I'm not honestly. I'm, I'm more confident in Michigan, but I yeah. am curious to see. You know, the big thing with Michigan is is Wagner going out on the three point line. You know, can Watkins defend out there? Nobody has really, you know, Michigan State's got some big men that can shoot the three, but, um, you know, Wagner's made 42. He averages like two a game. So um, Watkins is going to have to to be able to close on those and be able to play out there. And, and I'm not as 100% confident in his ability to do that um, intelligently, I guess, if, if, if that's. Yeah, the right way to like say pick that. and pop big guys in the Big Ten. I guess Iowa has the best like replicant of that with Garza and Cook, but they're not not like marksmen running out there. So yeah, and then and then Bonner different... can also he can also put the ball in the deck. So he's a, he's definitely a tough cover. Um, and I don't think Penn State's really had anybody. I don't think they've really faced anybody like him, um, as skilled as he is at six eleven. So he's going to be a super tough matchup for Watkins and or Julian Moore. Um, so I'm I'm worried about that, but otherwise. I'm not, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, uh, Abdul Rahman's been there forever. He's a senior. Um, he, he doesn't make mistakes, but he's also not a guy that is going to put up 30 points or that kind of thing. So um, I definitely think Penn State's got a lot of matchup advantages there, too. If you remember, you know, we haven't played Michigan in a long time. Um, the last time we played Michigan was like the second game or the third game of the Big Ten last year. Yep. If you remember that game, Lamar Stevens dominated. They had nobody that yeah. could guard him until Lamar took himself out with like dumb foul, freshman foul trouble or something. But Penn State came out and had a really good first half, and it was all Lamar just getting to the rim at will. So we'll see if they have anybody now that can guard him. Now that you know Stevens has played another thirty college games and has a lot more experience under his belt, his um, belt, and then also. Simpson, they don't have any tall guards that could match up with Tony. So uh, definitely like Penn State's matchup advantages there. But I will say Wagner definitely can make things interesting. So, but um, but yeah, they obviously need both these games for the NCAA tournament. There's no like no need to sh- sugarcoat it. They're at the point now. They need they need every win that they can get. Um, you know, people want to know what what exactly they need to do to get in the tournament. Of course, that's impossible to say. I mean, there's a lot of basketball that's going to be played. Um, you know, we'll have a better idea when the Big Ten tournament gets here how many games they need to win in that tournament to uh, get to the dance. But, you know, we're coming down the home stretch here. 
yeah, and that week between the Big Ten tournament and Selection Sunday is going to be miserable. Yeah, we're, we're going to be sure. wa- yeah watching the Pac-12 tournament and praying that Washington just gets run off the court and stuff like that. Uh, do you guys want to talk about the tournament right now, or do you, do you, is there anything you want to add about uh, Michigan and Nebraska? Well, I think we can talk a little bit about the tournament. Cool. Um, I mean, yeah. we could. We, I think we just need to really analyze their resume. And um, this is something that. Uh, First off, and you know, you can only for for how great Joe Lenardi is, uh, you know, once the dust is kind of settled, you can only put so much stock into him right now because of how much things can change. But as of right now, he is Penn State among the next four out. Uh, he had some tweet today that I think everybody who has ever watched a Penn State basketball game retweeted, where he said uh, that among the teams that aren't in right now, they're the most dangerous or something like that. But we were talking about this a little bit before the pod. Uh, just of how weird this Penn State team te- seems to be. Uh, Penn State doesn't have... When you look at the quote-unquote traditional things that you want out of a team that makes the NCAA tournament, you want uh, the very, very good RPI. You want the big wins against big opponents. You want them to not have too terribly many, if not any, quote-unquote bad losses. And however bad losses are defined is kind of up to the committee. You want all this stuff. And when you look at Penn State's kind of traditional resume, along with the fact that the Big Ten is down this year, Lenardi uh, currently has them, I think, getting four teams in. This Penn State team doesn't have the tournament resume of a uh, you know traditional team. But on the other hand, and this has been very weird, and I don't know if like I'm just seeing things, so someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like everyone that has watched this Penn State team play, whether it's a fan, whether it's an analyst, whether it's an opposing coach, no matter what it is, they all seem to think that this is a tournament team and this is a really dangerous team come March. They have the advanced metrics. Like we've mentioned, Ken Palm has them at 25 uh, Dan, I, I think, looked this up, but the highest team to uh, be in Ken Palm and not make it in was a few years ago. I think some team was like 28 or 29 or something like TCU. that. TCU. TCU was 29th, and that is to clarify, ex- excluding teams that didn't make it because of ineligibility. So there was right. a couple instances where like SMU or Louisville were really up there, but they couldn't get in the tournament. Right. But you look at all this stuff, and not even as a Penn State fan, just as like a college basketball fan, this Penn State team is shaping up to be a really, really big problem for the committee. And Eric, you kind of want to talk about what this team needs to do, how it gets to the tournament, all this stuff. The fascinating thing for me is Penn State looks like it could be a team that kind of it, it, it kind of breaks the traditional way that we view what is and is not a team that makes the NCAA tournament. Yeah, no, they're they have. Um, we are going to be like the case study or the guinea pig for this whole new process, and, and and the truth is, none of us really know if there is a true process. I mean, or a new process. Um, you know, like what I'm referring to here, obviously, is, is the changes to the team sheets and and the, the uh, metrics that the the committee all has access to when they meet um, on Selection Sunday and they decide who's who's on what teams are obviously leading up to selection Sunday, they do work beforehand too. Uh, 
But, you know, with the inclusion of those predictive metrics that you just cited that were really good and the Kempom, the uh, Sagarin numbers where Penn State's clearly a top 30 team. Um, and we got some votes in the AP poll this this uh, past that week um, that just kind of speaks to your point of people are taking notice of how good this team is. Um, and I think it's a combination of things. I think a big reason why um, a lot of people are jumping on the Penn State bandwagon, if you will, is that if you turn on, turn them on and watch them, anyone who watches that Ohio State game had to have been impressed. Like, how can you not? That was – the plays that they were making in that game was absurd. I mean, do we – Heck, we didn't even really talk about that. We didn't even talk about the Tony Carr play at the end of the first half um, from the, the Josh Reeves baseball pass. That was insane. Um, but but being able to play that well, combined with the fact that, I know Dan agrees with this, that college basketball is kind of crap this year. There's just not a lot of compelling teams. Um, you know, everyone loved Trey Young, and now Trey Young has, you know, kind of hit a wall, and now it's like, you know, who, who's the, the next darling? Um you know, that's why you look at Penn State and people say that, like, oh, that's a tournament team. It's because Penn State right now, the way they've been playing, has been playing a lot better than a lot of teams out there. Um, and there's just not a lot of good bubble teams. There's just not a lot of, you know, everyone says there's always a lot of parity. But college basketball in general this year, just, it just seems down. There's just not a lot of really great teams, um, which you can look at it two ways. Like, if Penn State's able to sneak into the tournament, um, they're going to be very dangerous, but first things first, they have to sneak in the tournament because the Big Ten's been so down and they're all, their schedule was so weak that they are terrible in the traditional metrics with the RPI strength of schedule. Um, you know, if that if we if this was like five years ago, there's no question this team has very little chance of uh, getting into the tournament. They would need to win probably like four or five straight here just to get their RPI back up to like the top 50 ish or so just to be in the, in the picture. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see. I mean, hopefully Penn state can make a case, you know, like I said, if they lose one of these games this week, um, they're really going to have to put in a lot of work in the tournament and heck, you know, there's still a chance they could lose both of them, which would obviously be pretty deflating. Um, but if Penn State's able to win both of them, I'm curious to see how they get viewed, um, and there'll be a, a compelling case just because we'll see it, it'll kind of help indicate whether these new metrics and stuff that the committee um, could consider is considering and is taking into account and isn't just relying on the RPI. So, you know, hopefully we we win these next two games so we can make that case and, and see where the uh, chips fall. Yeah. And this Penn State team, uh, like you mentioned, Eric, if Penn State's an 11 or a 12 seed that's they're a dangerous, dangerous matchup. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I think Penn State is going to make it to the second weekend or anything like that. But with the right draw, uh, I mean, I completely believe that this is a Penn State team that could, again, right draw, have a few things bounce the right way. This is a team that's good enough and has the talent in its starting five and is starting to develop a little bit of depth to maybe be that surprise team that we see uh you know, make it to the second weekend before, you know, catching a one seed or something like that. But Chad, I, what what are your thoughts on this? Because, uh, again, I think this is just a really interesting thing for college basketball. Yeah, um, you know, you see it already, like Seth Greenberg, Joel Lenardi already tweet about us, about Penn State being, um, you know, a team that if they get in, you know, and, and they do pass, if they get in, they could make some noise. Um, yeah, I, I'm just... Uh, 
it's it's tough because you know they, they're going to need these two games. And what happens if you know you beat Nebraska? They're going to fall out of quadrant one win status. Does that somehow like hurt? I mean, they need to win, but it's not going to maybe not be the win they expected. And then what seed do they get the big the Big Ten tournament? There's a lot of just certain. There's a lot of uncertainties of you know that can that can happen. And we you know there's going to be that whole week of just sitting on the sidelines, nothing happening on Penn state's front. And then you see, you know, you're, you're, it sucks that you got to root against every underdog story in uh, conference tournament week. Cause you need all the, uh, you know, mid majors and low majors, the favorites in those conferences to, to win their conference tournament. So there's no bid stealing going on. Big rider fan um, here, by the way. Right. Yeah. We're big rider fans. We're big Montana fans. Um, not that those are at large teams, but you know, um, we need, you know, obviously we need, are the teams that we have beaten to play well down the stretch. Um, we need, we, we're going to need help. Um, so it's going to be a, a f- fun, I guess maybe is a word to describe it. Maybe torturous is another word to describe it, but that, that week is uh, going to be interesting. Cause it's, I mean, it's such a weird, you know, we go back to, we've, we talked about all it's how it may have affected non-conference scheduling and then how, what the hell these teams are going to do during that week. Are they going to play another game, get another, you know, get like a, a scrimmage going with, with another team in the league or, or try to find another a game to schedule. Maybe, maybe that's an option for Penn State if they can find a way to schedule a game against somebody. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, so can they do that? I, I think they can actually. Uh, I don't know if, huh? Uh, if Penn State can schedule a game during the week off. Yeah. Against like, I don't know. <laughs> it would have to be some like, if they need help. Like it would it, have. It, it can't be a D one school. I mean, obviously. Um, Yo, Lockhaven, what you doing? Is it obviously? <laughs> yeah, dude, you can only play like thirty one games or whatever. There's scheduling rules. Like, <laughs> okay. yeah. you can't actually just. I don't schedule know this. a game. What? What? <laughs> it, what if the NCAA just never thought I, that a team would try and do this? I recall some team playing like St. Mary's or something played a game, uh, like after their conference tournament. I don't make this up. I swear to God, I remember something like that. But anyways, yeah. I mean, I guess they could enter the CBI if the CBI like, starts. Really, I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> no, I don't know. There's it's somebody really did suggest on one of the broadcasts earlier this season that that's like, what I'm thinking. Oh, of, I think. maybe, maybe it would maybe it would be a good idea for Penn State to play a game or two after I the mean, Big Ten tournament the against against like a D three school. I'm like, what? No, so, not D three school, but like, no, that know. was on the broadcast they were suggesting. Though it's like <laughs> they should be able to play like. I have like, no doubt in my mind that if Penn State did that, like Mike would bump knees with. Somebody and the, <laughs> j- just to make that like little week because Chad's already talking about it being the worst thing on earth. Like just to make that week a little bit better, just rumblings of you know Tony jammed a finger real in a shooting hand really badly. I have zero <laughs> doubt in my mind this would happen. Right. Well, hypothetically, say they're still the, they're they're probably going to need help. You know, like how cool would it be if they could just like schedule like I don't know some. It's the problem is everybody else is in conference tournaments that week. You, so you schedule, no, you, when does some of these conference tournaments end? They end on like Thursday, though, no, don't they? You schedule Bloomsburg or you schedule Lockhaven or Cal U of Pennsylvania. I'm saying like those are, those are quadrant four wins, though. <laughs> <laughs> these are all illegal ideas. Well, <laughs> they shouldn't be. Just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I think that this Big Ten tournament being a week early oh, should be illegal. But here, here we go. Here's a team. Here's a team. All right. Here's a team that I needs think Jim to, Delaney uh, should be in prison. But that's weird. <laughs> here's well, a team. Yeah. They're they're the top sixteen Ken Palm. They're put. They're if they don't win their conference, they're going to need help to get in. I'm just saying we should we should schedule Princeton that week. Yeah. If we can. <laughs> yeah. That would. You know what, you know what would be a con- so You know what would be a, a quadrant one win would be if they played the troops. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe. Let's go, Ed. Bring it back. I can't be the only one who thinks that if the troops wanted to, they could put put together a team and become a quadrant one opponent. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Dan, do you, do you just want to keep riffing? <laughs> Or maybe just ta- or, maybe, or, or maybe talk about what I just want to. I just can't believe like Chad that. is trying to push this. Let's schedule a thirty second game because apparently that's legal. Like, <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if Chad, it was legal, saying, wouldn't you want to? Are you saying well, yeah. like an official game? Well, I'm just saying, you know, are you saying committee. official Think game? About or are you saying just like, hey, we want to keep our legs fresh? Like, why don't you guys come? No, up? No, I'm saying like if Penn State line. needs help, like if their resume is not where it needs to be to get. In the dance, like oh, well, then they would have done that team. like a long time ago. They well, would have done. Things, I'm just like, saying it should it should be an option. Fucking Delaney. It probably <laughs> no. It, all right, no. All right, you're changing what what you were saying. So if you're saying tag on this you wanted podcast, to play an actual like regular season game, then they should have scheduled it back when they were making the regular season schedule. They probably. I mean, you're right. There could have been somebody that was like looking to play a game, but they didn't do that, and because nobody would be comfortable doing that back in a year ago or whenever they right. would put the schedule together. You know what I'm saying? But and yeah, double no, fix this, make yeah. it right. I don't know. We're spending too much time on this dumb topic. <laughs> I think if they want to improve their resume, that they should get uh, certified in CPR. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. All right. Are we done here? Uh, yeah. No, I, that, that was a great note. I think it's a great way to end this podcast. Unless any of you have anything. I think it's very that. important. I don't Anybody know CPR. Do, you, don't do any know. of you guys know CPR? I took no, I it. I don't know CPR. So I don't know why this isn't like a mandatory thing in high schools, but I took it in like my gym class. And for whatever reason, you're only certified for like 20 minutes or just something ridiculous like that. Two years. Yeah, it's stupid. Two years is 20 minutes in the grand scheme of existence. But like <laughs> it, it, it was just very, it was very dumb. And you're right. I mean. Why are we talking about CPR? CPR, (laughs) learning PowerPoint. CPR, CBI. Uh, Okay. And on that note, bye.